Welcome to the AGA Podcast, where we bring you small talk on big topics from within the world of gastroenterology. Thanks for being with us. Now let's get started. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming. Um, Hi. We are the crew behind Small Talk, Big Topics, and we're doing a live recording for the first time at DDW, which we're very excited about. So my name is Matthew Woodson. I'm CSC. And I'm Nina Nandy. And I'm Muhammad Bilal. I like that you just jumped in. <laughs> we were going to intro you formally, but that's okay. <laughs> and our fourth guest today is Dr. Muhammad Bilal, so thank you for being here. Yay. I couldn't wait. <laughs> So what we have planned for you guys today is really a discussion about DDW, and we're really going to tap into our friend's resource here and kind of gain all the knowledge we can. So uh, I thought we could go around, starting with Muhammad, and share what was the first DDW you went to, what are your kind of, what was your DDW experience that kind of got you started here? Yeah, so my first uh, DDW was in 2015. That's almost eight years ago, I guess now. I was a second-year internal medicine resident, and I was uh, was presenting a poster, so I was very excited. I was like the only person in my residency program that year that was presenting a poster at DDW. I was very excited. I, you know, everybody was very excited for me. I thought that everybody at DDW was going to be waiting for me to present my poster. There was going to be a huge line in front of my poster. Was there? Yeah, there was a huge line of one person. Um, <laughs> what was his or their name? So actually, that's a very great question. So I was applying for residencies, all of those were, you know, residency applicants. So you're really hoping that you'll network and meet a program director like Dr. Vitson here, and he would be the one person who would come to my poster. I hung my poster, and I this is before that there, there used to be a dedicated poster presentation time that we used to have. Like like now we are, like you have to stand for an hour, which I think is fantastic. And I remember I went there at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I stood there till 4 p.m., and I think two people came to my poster and one of them who came, I had a really long conversation. He loved, loved my poster. And it was a case of uh, pre-pyloric pseudomelanosis. So he really was interested in pseudomelanosis. I was like, okay, I got this fellowship spot locked down. <laughs> so after the whole conversation, I was like, oh, can I have your contact so I can reach out to you? And then he gave me his business card and I found out he worked for a pharma company. <laughs> so I just realized that I ex- explained 45 minutes of pseudomelanosis, uh, thinking that was my fellowship spot. So, so that was my first uh, first DDW DDW experience. That's fantastic. And just to be clear, your career is only in pseudomelanosis. At this point. <laughs> so right now, you know, my career is taking some turns, and I have, uh, you know, my career is now advanced endoscopy, and I'm also the associate program director for a GI fellowship. So I do some work in education. Fantastic. All right, Nina. What about you? What was your first DDW experience? My first DDW was 2016 San Diego. I was a second year GI fellow. We were not allowed to go to DDW as first year GI fellows, even if you had uh, something to present, because somebody had to hold down the fort while everybody else went. So it was really fun to be on biliary call and not know how to do anything, and nobody (laughs) else was around, and you had cholangitis, and somebody's crashing. But yeah, so 2016 DDW was a lot of fun. I remember it being so overwhelming and huge, which I'm sure, you know, a lot of people just starting out, 
can, can see that there's so many different societies and I didn't know the difference between everything. And it was very basic science heavy and I didn't know what I wanted to go to and I didn't really plan very well. So I kind of would hang out with my friends and say, well, what talk are you going to? I'll just tag along. I'll go to that, you know? And then I didn't know about the, you know, the different tracks as we can, we'll talk about later in, in, in the navigation part of this talk. But yeah, I just remember it being completely overwhelming, but I had a lot of fun. Nice. Yes. What about you? I was probably 2017, a second year in general medicine resident, also presenting. And then ever since then, I went to every single one probably presenting some, some kind of research, poster, or presentation. And I have the same feeling as you, Nina. It's just a lot. It's really big and overwhelming, almost. Like, the exhibit hall is like, wow, it goes on miles and miles and so many colors and concessions yeah. and trying to navigate and find where the rooms are. So I'm really glad we're having this podcast and, and really saying, how do you navigate this giant behemoth of DW? <laughs> we will not be going through the exact routes to each room, to be clear. Right left. So my experience was very similar to all of yours. I think I presented the posters of medical students. Wow. Um, wow. And I remember a, it was on angiogenesis of ulcer healing clearly where my world is now. And I remember an author of a paper I read in preparation came to my wow. poster. I still, I don't remember his name. I'm sorry. I still have his photo. And I looked so happy in that moment <laughs> that someone actually, that one person actually wanted to come to my poster. Um, but yeah, I've been coming ever since as well. So, all right, Muhammad, as you said, you do advanced endoscopy, you do education, obviously you published a decent amount of mentoring and leadership as well. So how do you actually structure DBW? Like, do you plan ahead? Like, what do you spend your time doing here? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that the most important thing about, about uh, you're very welcome. Yeah. The, I think the, the most important thing I think that we struggle with and we've learned, I've learned over the years is uh, coming to these conferences is, like you said, I think, you know, like CS alluded to, like when you first start, you're just kind of overwhelmed. You don't know how to navigate. You don't know. But I think the real question you want to answer before you come to this meeting is what do you want to accomplish from this meeting? And I think that could be different for each year you attend DW and it yeah. changes can change very rapidly. Like I shared, you know, 2015 to 2023, it changed very rapidly. So I think for, if they're your resident, you know, I think you're, you're trying to figure out, you want to network and figure out where you want to go for fellowship. You know, what does my career path looks like? That's great if you go to a, a talk on how to manage IBD but you'll have plenty of time, especially in your coming fellowship years, to be able to do that. So I think that uh, trying to figure out what you really are trying to accomplish. If you're in a, in a fellow and you're thinking, like, how I want to get more involved with the AGA, how I want to get more involved with the ASLD or ASGE, maybe that's your the opportunity to go. And then if you're an early career faculty, then you're thinking, like, you know, I want to spend time with Matt Whitson. You know, I want to get to know him. So I think all those things are, are uh, because, you know, he's a great at uh, jokes apart, a great educator, and I want to learn uh, early on in my career in education that how you do what you do. So I think figuring out what's your number one goal that you want to accomplish through DDW and then making your agenda through that because all these things are happening in parallel and then you want to go to those sessions. And if you're if you're interested in a clinical niche, so for example, you know, someone's interested in IBD, you know, mapping out what IBD sessions you need to go to. Yeah. Some would be for your learning and some would be, you know, this is the kind of research I'm working on, so I need to figure out who are different like-minded individuals that I need to network with. And then similarly, be selective in what in, uh, social receptions you need to go. So that way, you know, you can find those like-minded people and make it out of it. I think one of the biggest challenges about DDW is that we're doing so many things and we go back and then we're like, wait, what did I really accomplish from this? And, and I think that's still okay because a lot of us have learned those lessons going through those experiences. So that's sort of how I 
think about it. Is there granular advice that you give, let's say to a trainee, right? Who can get, I, I think we all were overwhelmed the first time we came, right? Is there like very granular advice? You're like, listen, you should go to at least one talk. You should go to at least this session. These are the resources you look for. Or is it more just, just go soak it in and then and kind of get more targeted as your career develops? That's great. So I usually actually do give my trainees advice about that. So I think one of the things is obviously I tell them, you know, if whatever you're presenting, prepare well, because you never know. And I think we've done a great job as a community. Excuse me. We have dedicated uh, poster presenter times, which has really increased the engagement in front of the posters. Like now my residents tell me, I see it on the posters like yesterday. There's so many, you, you, there's just no way that somebody was there and nobody came to their poster because I think the focus time has really helped. So I think be fully prepared because I shared my experience, but then you had an experience where you actually had the you know world authority on that topic that you were working in show up to your poster. So I think it's, you learn a lot, you have opportunities to collaborate. So I think that's the first advice. The second advice, you know, I tell them is like, you know, definitely go to the AGA postgraduate course, you know, because that way you can, you know, it's, it's, it's meant for clinical practice. Yeah. So you get a lot of practical tips on that, you know, for your clinical knowledge base. And then I tell them, like, think about, you know, what most of them want to do GI fellowship. That's why the residents are there. So I always say, think about geographically, where do you want to go for fellowship? So if you're example, like interested, like I want to go in New York, I want to go to, you know, Midwest. So try to see and interact with those fellows. If you see faculty from there, so you can figure out what programs or what people are experiencing, what sort of mentorship opportunities they have. The other thing is what resources do you not have in your own fellowship program? Mm. And some of that for, so for example, underrepresented minorities, some of them might not have leadership in underrepresented minorities. Some people might have less women mentors in their program. So that's what you want to try to seek out is external. I think one of the things that end up having with residents is that they end up hanging out with themselves all the time. You know, I see they come back and there are all the pictures of just doing, I'm like, you have that opportunity back in your hometown. But here's a chance to connect. And even if it's connecting with other residents from other programs, yeah. because a lot of people that I'm friends with, I collaborate with, were actually people that I met at DDW as fellows or residents have, you know, become future friends or collaborators. Yeah. So that's sort of my usual, you know, granular advice and and uh, and then selection the reception. So I just want to share one story about that, about the reception. So ASLD, you know, which is obviously not my career path now. So as, as my first DDW, I shared that the, the first experience, which was, you know, overwhelming but that in the same ddw i had probably one of the most amazing experiences which was that i went to the asld trainee uh, uh, networking reception yeah. and uh, there was two people on my table and the one person next to me uh, she was gave us really great advice i had no idea who she was until and then in the end i looked at her badge and it said anna Locke. and i found out <laughs> and i found out that she was going to be the incoming ASLD president. She's and she's kind of and since there were, and since there were only two people on my table, she gave me all sorts of advice about getting into fellowship. She told me a really good advice about completing manuscripts from start to finish. So when I went back to my hotel room and I pub met her and it was like 327 <laughs> publications and, and I actually found her the next day. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea who you were. And actually yesterday I bumped into her. After eight years, because now our, you know, and I, I told her that story and she didn't remember, but obviously left a great impact. I feel like her personal impact factor is at least 52 or something. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm curious. So, um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so CS and, and Nina, I'm curious for you guys. So Nina, obviously you do mostly clinical practice. CS, you're doing a mixture of clinical practice and IBD and <coughs> research. Do you guys approach it differently than kind of how many I approach it? So I think now um, as a first year junior faculty, a little bit different because you start rather than just 
going to the DW sessions, you start making like meetings ahead of time with other people, whether it's from industry or other people from other you know institutions that you're like, oh, because DW is bringing everyone physically together, so it's not a Zoom meeting anymore. You get to really consolidate. So those meetings have to take time to plan, and yep. um, just because there's so many different meetings that different people have, so that's uh, one thing. So besides the itinerary of DW. Like in you know March, April, you start kind of approaching people. Hey, what are you going to do this year? Do you want to meet up? And you kind of find the time. Um, so that might be applicable for residents or fellows too who are looking into prospective programs or who you want to talk to someone in the fellowship program that you're really interested in and kind of get advice. So kind of plan ahead of time outside of the DW sessions. I think that would be the main thing. And for me. Now that I think compared to the first time I was EW, where I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in um, GI or internal medicine, so everything sounded interesting. And that's when it becomes overwhelming now, like very focused, like more research and IBD and specifically on the quality of life and outcomes of patients. So it's like, I know exactly what I want to do. I won't go to like a esophagus session then for example. Um, so it's not no, no longer overwhelming. It's like very defined what I want to do, who I want to eat. So it makes it much more, it feels like more balanced schedule. And then kind of one note, other piece of advice is I love the AGA postgrad course, particularly before you take your GI boards. That's like the key of when to go. And also their postgrad course questions. If you do like three years of it, you get a really good sense of what the board exam is about. So even if you don't go to it, like get the ball or get it from someone. And right before you take your board exam, actually go to the sessions. It's a great, great, great board. Okay, so I'm Nina. I'm in private practice and I have been since um, leaving fellowship. So for me, it's a great way to network and collaborate with people that I otherwise wouldn't see in different realms. Um, and in terms of staying within our tracks, I do a lot of AGA talks, um, ASLD a little bit, and you know some of the other societies maybe a little bit less. <laughs> and it's just mainly things that would affect my clinical practice and things that would change the way I practice uh, GI. So I do just a little bit of everything. And you know, there's it's funny because I did do the AGA postgrad uh, course this year, which I thought was excellent. And you know, I've been several several years out of fellowship now, so it's, it's very helpful. And I, I went to it, and it's a great piece of network of people I went to fellowship with and learn new things. And it's funny because I had these breakout sessions, and I was talking to one of my colleagues. And I said, "Well, I don't really want to go to this one because this other one I would learn more interesting things, but it's more relevant to what I do every day. So it makes more sense to do that and to pick the brains of the experts." Yeah, I, I find it so just because my world is esophageal disorders, but also medical education. So I tend to split my time between there. The one thing I so I do a lot of track stuff. There's a lot of good education stuff here. Like Academy of Educators has a, a Sunday Tuesday mornings, mornings on Tuesday, not afternoon on Tuesday, Tuesday mornings, so people can make it. The thing that I try to do, I don't know if you guys just I try to go to one session that like has nothing to do with my world that just looks interesting every year, and usually maybe it's like plenaries and like pancreas or something like that or an organ that's not the esophagus but that always kind of find to keep me fresh and, and actually teach me something new because sometimes you're in that world every day you kind of like okay i know this talk i know this talk i know everyone giving this talk and i've heard this talk so i don't know do you guys do that as well or do you guys stick to your uh, areas you brought up a great point the aga presidential plenary i always find that to be amazing 
which is 10 a.m. today. So if we, if after we wrap this up recording, do head over there. And it's just, it's definitely not IBD, but it really gives you a great perspective of overall GI. And it's over, always very inspiring, I think, coming in. So do go to the AGA presidential plan. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that AGA for, uh, presidential plenary is excellent. Um, okay, so let's talk about networking and how do you approach DDW? How do you approach the networking part of it? So how do you approach people at posters versus approaching people after their talks? If there's someone that you really want to talk to who's a big deal in GI and you're nervous about it, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a great question. I think we've all been there where we've, like, we're fanboying or fangirling or, you know, where we're someone and we're like, oh, my gosh, we really want to meet this this person. I think first is like trying to see and make sure that they're not in a rush. Like don't ever stop someone who seems like in a rush because then you're not going to get the response you're looking for. And it can, it can really break your heart because you're really looking up to that person and then you're disappointed. So always try to be like, you know, because even though we are really wanting to talk to them, they might have somewhere else to be. As you can see in this convention center, uh, you know, one room is, you know, sometimes a 10 minute walk to the other place. So someone's really trying to get to their other talk or moderating a session so always try to be, you know, try to be mindful. The other thing I always, I always tell people is like, if you really want to talk to someone who's, who you're looking up to, you want to make it easy for them to, to want to network with you. Yeah. So don't just be like, I'll, you know, stand there and be like, oh, I want to just have five minutes of you. You're like, is it okay if I walk with you? You know, one of the things that I did a lot is like, hey, is it okay if I walk with you? I'll walk with you till you get to your Uber. I'll stand with you while you're waiting for your Uber. Uh, you know, because <laughs> that's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll share. Yeah, yeah, I'll share your Uber. Well, don't share. Don't do that. You know, but but trying to trying to make it easy for them to be able to to mentor you or network you. So I'll always be like, do you have a minute? I can walk with you. If not, it's totally fine. I can you know reach out to you later. But try to make it easy. Like, don't let be them be the one to tell you, like, listen, I'm running late. Always start with, like, give them a way out. Because I, I think that's the way. Because the la- the first thing you don't want to do is you don't want to, you know, come off like that. So I always try to be like, I know they're going somewhere. I'm like, let me make it easy. Where are you going next? Like, I can catch up with you. And I actually do the same in my institution when I'm trying to find mentors or sponsors. I try to make it easy for them. And I always give this example to the residents. I'm like, you know, if you try to book a 30-minute meeting, you know, you might not be able to get it the week you want. But if you're willing to accommodate, I will say that I let them finish their work when I was a resident. They finish their work and then they're, oh, now I'm going to my car. I'm like, do you mind if I just walk with you to your car? Sure. I get the 10 minutes. Then that person stands with me to their parking lot for 15 minutes. So guess what? I got a 25-minute mentoring meeting. There was, there's no way in that day in their schedule could have fit. So make it easy for people to be able to talk to you. So that would be my, you know, my one advice about, about just reaching out to someone, you know, if, that's the, if that was your question. I will say that I'm not sure that works in New York. Like, I'll walk you to your car. I will stand in the parking garage. Minnesota, that seems like that works a little bit better. than Yeah, with the minus 30 degree. <laughs> um, but no, that's, that's fantastic. I think the other thing I used to do is that before DDW, I would reach out to people. So um, one of the stories I always tell is that there was someone in the education space that I wanted to reach out to. We kind of had like a colleague in, in common and I kind of just emailed them and they were very gracious to meet me for coffee and it has, it begat actually collaborations and, and the college that was really, really nice and rewarding uh, for me and hopefully for them. And I won't call them out because they're in the audience, but like, you know, for that reason. 
and I think the other way you can do targeted networking, like if there's someone you want to meet or in your field or a firm director, you can certainly look up where they're presenting, whether it's posters or speakers, and then be at that session. I'd say particularly if they're presenting a poster, you have more chance of talking with them than, than speaker. Afterwards, there's like a line of people, but certainly even with a with a line of people, that's when you know where they are and they're open to speaking. So see where the person you want to do is presenting. That's Yeah. I think those are all the smart ways to connect. I used to send an email ahead of time. I don't know if they're going to read it, but I'd say, hey, I'm so-and-so. I know you from blah, 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 a mutual connection. And this is how you remember me from it. Oh, yeah, I was at that institution. I know maybe who this person is. So just trying to remind them. So I think um, that's excellent. So you're meeting new people, but you also have all these other people that you know from your fellowship or prior training programs. So how do you balance your old connections with your new connections and your reconnections? That's really hard, you know, because yeah. I think that I think all of us who've been in this field after a certain while, the connections only add, you know, uh, if you're a good person and you're a good colleague, it's rarely the connections subtract. So it becomes harder and harder. But I think like we talked about, like each phase of our career, our goals might change. I think that's one of the nicer things about going to some of these receptions is that you get to see a lot of people in a short amount of time. But it does become I think it does become harder. But I think you have to everybody knows that we're doing whatever is important for us in our career. So if someone's important for you, just like in life, you'll make time for them. You know, if it's a close friend, you'll find a time to do. And that's where I think what you, what I think CS was alluding to is like making a plan early on about what you want to do. How do you want to map out each day? Because you'll be surprised. It gets really busy real fast. And if you don't have a clear plan on this is the place I need to be, this is the person I want to have dinner with, it becomes really challenging to, to decide. And then trying to, you know, just like how I usually try to, to all, at least meet all the mentors of mine who've been instrumental in, you know, getting me through each stage of my career if their schedule allows or if I can have a walk with them to their to their Uber. Uh, but um, <laughs> but otherwise, try to meet some people that will help me in the next steps in my career. But I think also really important for some of us, you know, who are now advancing in our career is to to pay it forward and, and try to make some time to meet with, uh, with, with people, you know, who are where we were a few years ago. So it's, it's a balance of stuff, but you know, that's why I always, when I go to DDW and my nurses are like, oh, it's going to be so much fun. I'm like, well, it's going to be fun, but and I'm not going to explore the city because DDW, you know, I, I'll come to Chicago and I'll, I'll go to the Bean. But right now I just want to focus on, 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 on DDW. And I think that's, that, and if you try to do too many social things and then try to rush within two hours, you're going to be at the convention center and then you're not going to be able to accomplish that. So you're coming for the meeting, you know, obviously have fun, but make the meeting fun. I think that's where, that's how I do it. At least. I was just going to add to that, that. I think your earlier piece of advice, which is you know your co-residents, you know your co-fellows, and, and for us, we know our co-attendants, right? Like we all have probably our home reception where which is really nice, and that's maybe one night of the of the DDW experience, but not prioritizing the people you see every day and actually the colleagues that are elsewhere that you just don't get to connect with. And sometimes those friends that you know work in Texas while you work in New York. Those are the ones that you want to connect with. Yeah. Shout out to Texas. Hey, hey. But yeah, no, so I think reconnecting with those that you don't see every day and actually trying to purposely not spend time with the people you spend all that time with is actually really, really helpful advice that took a little time to really appreciate. 
Yeah, I think it were also, you know, easy to stick with the familiar, like go around with people we see all the time. But like last night, I had two events simultaneously. One was with external people, um, also an IBD, and the other was at home institution. And I did find, I tried to go to one and then the other, but I, I did find that the one where IBD external institution, that's where you get a lot of cross-pollination just because you don't see them all the time. And you're like, oh, this is what's happening. This is what that's happening. And you don't really get that kind of interaction on Zoom. Um, you know, not everyone thinks So I do like that, like kind of breaking out a little bit of your comfort zone rather than just sticking to the people you see every day. Do go to the other receptions, the other events. It's very enriching. And, you know, the way I sort of, you know, to add to this, look at it and I, you know, a lot of times, it happens less now, but when I started off with doing networking, a lot of my co-fellows would, be, would get upset and they would be like, oh, you just forget about us at, at DDW. And I'm like, well, all the opportunities that you're, you're getting by, you know, like you're pointing out by going and meeting other people, you're actually bringing them to your institution. So if you're meeting other educators, you're bringing those experiences back to your institution. If you're going to another, you know, another reception, all the experiences you're learning, you're helping, you know, make your organization, your community better. So that's how I look at it is like, you know, if four days of not seeing you know, the people you see every day can actually improve the lives of everybody around yeah. you with all the ideas, all the projects that you get, all the research collaborations you get can really help the next one year till the next CDW. So. Speaking of which, then segue into I think that's a great question because I think that's uh, usually there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of inspiration. You are DDW, your ideas are flowing, your mind flowing. Then you go back, your inbox is flooded, you know, you're sleep deprived, you're running behind. All of a sudden, you know, that whole thing. And before you know it, it's a couple of weeks. So I always tell people don't reach out the same like Tuesday of DDW because people are still catching up. There's email fatigue. They're catching up on all the other emails. You know, give it a week or so, but definitely do follow up. Because, you know, initially when you see someone, you don't know how they're going to be. You know, it's like similar, I guess, you know, you mad experience. Some resident comes in, they show interest in getting into GI fellowship or, you know, someone wants to go to advanced analysis fellowship. I always tell them the first meeting is just the introduction. How you follow up and all, if you, you know, whatever advice Matt gave you, if you, how did you take it to heart and what did you do? The second meeting is really where your real interest actually, you know, shows up. So, and but if you did make a commitment to someone, especially someone who's senior to you in the field and you said, Hey, I'm going to get back to you with an outline in two weeks, then make sure you follow up on that, on that outline, because that's your first impression. You know, that's the first impression you, you get. And I think in the same, you know, we didn't talk a little bit about elevator pitch. I think that's also really important uh, part of, you know, when you meet someone, like, why are you meeting them for? So again, just, just going back to that original why, like, is it to get into fellowship? Is it to get into a committee? Is it, into, you know, to get into a research collaboration? Is it to get to a relationship with industry? So be very clear and objectify that meeting so that you're able to get the most out of it. Because a lot of times you start meeting with someone, you start talking about the weather, you start talking about something, and the 10, you know, 20, 30 minute meeting you have, 10 minutes are gone. So be very, oh, that's great, do a little small, and then you go go back to your, to your point. So I definitely like to follow up with anybody, you know, who I met. I'll appreciate them for taking the time. And then go back with a clear, actionable plan that makes it, again, make it easy for them. Don't be saying, oh, remember I paper I showed you, um, go find the link. No, attach the paper that you talked about, attach your poster, make it easy for people to mentor you, make it easy for people to sponsor you. I think that's the that's the key. Because if you have to go back six emails, you know, the chances are low. So. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, 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 I
So I totally agree with all of that. You just want to be mindful of people's time and give them a Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So uh, <laughs> my other question is, you're very established in your career. You've got connections, you connections, meeting with people, collaborations. What do you tell young um, early career people how to network at BW? I know every society has their meetups. They have the AGA Early Career Center, for example. How do you tell people who are just starting out to start networking? I mean, I think it's, again, it's like, I think what your goal is. So is your goal to be in a committee? Is your goal is you're looking for a research collaborator? Is your goal that you're looking for a job? You know, you might be changing jobs. Is your goal that you're, you know, looking, what, whatever you're looking for, I think that's what, what determines. So if you're, you know, you know for beforehand that, you know, I'm looking for a job in this area. You want to, you know, like I think CS suggested, email them beforehand, you know, who you think will be the key stakeholders. And I always tell people that you want to send more than, you know, if you're, you want to reach out to more than one person. When you get later in your career, the chances of getting a reply are higher. But when you're getting, you know, someone doesn't know you, they've never heard of you, you don't have a mutual connection, you're sending a random email, then you want to at least reach out to 10 people, maybe you'll get one response. A lot of people get, oh, I reached out to people. I'm like, how many people did you reach out to? Oh, one. And I'm like, well, you're not going to, you know, you have to, if they don't know you. But like, you know, once you're established in your career, you're more likely to get a response. And then I think if you're trying to get on a committee, then trying to figure out like, okay, go to the AGA website page and like what committee I want to get to, who are the current people on that committee? Can I find one of those people and ask them advice about how they, they, they got on the committee or was something that was helpful? And so I think having that clear focus, if you're looking for, so I'll give you an example that when I was a second or third year fellow, I wanted to learn how to do meta-analysis and I didn't know how to do it. Uh, and uh, I was very inspired by fellows who were doing it. I was like, so I was doing a lot of research, but I was like, I want to take my, you know, learn the next thing was learn meta-analysis. So there were so many fellows who had posters and meta-analysis and I some, met some of them on the interview trail. So I had marked those posters. I went to those posters and I told those fellows, like, and they were my co like they were different fellows. They weren't like senior to me. And I was like, hey, I want to, can I help you write this? And I don't care about authorship. I'll just want to help you write this. So that way I can learn how to do a meta-analysis. And I did a couple of them. I started working with them. I wrote their articles. I got middle authorship. But that process helped me learn meta-analysis. So for one DDW, that was my only goal, was to learn meta-analysis, learn meta-analysis. So I literally went to everybody who had a meta-analysis and offered to help them write their meta-analysis. And then eventually, two of them gave me an opportunity. They're still friends, collaborators. And now I have more meta-analysis than they have. So uh, so my point is like that finding that why you're doing this and not just going and just saying hello to everybody and thinking that will, that will transform would be the real reason. I think that's, first off, that's impressive of how targeted you were able to be early in your career. I, I I think, I feel like I have a slightly similar mindset to what you're describing, but I also know that earlier on, I was a little bit more lost than just that. Um, so I think it is, the only thing I would say is, I also think it's actually okay to not have a target to talk to someone that's in, that inspired you. And sometimes that's just okay to kind of do a meeting. You're like, hey, I just wanted to meet you. I just wanted to learn from you. But what you're getting at, I think, is that the response is not going to be the same thing, right? It's not going to be necessarily a continued mentorship situation, collaboration, everything else, unless you really know why you're, you're meeting that person. But it probably is okay to say hi. And sometimes those are the best conversations that naturally evolve into something else. Too. I mean, that was my first yeah. experience that I shared that I was yeah. sitting right next to Dr. Anna Locke. And, uh, you know, and I had no idea who she was and it was great advice. And also that, you know, takes to the other point that I always tell trainees is that 50% of life is just showing up. So as long as you show up to the meeting and you try something, then you're good enough. That's fantastic. I so, love this Anna story. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, someone gave me that advice. Just talk to the person next to you 
And I, I think I did that with Lin Chang. Yeah, she's awesome. I was, I was just, I looked, I was like, it's Lin Chang. And I was like, I'm going to try to be friends with her. Yeah. Hi, how are you? Yeah. And it really, really paid and off. And she's like well. the nicest person. <laughs> so I think we asked a lot of questions to each other. And we come to a part where we want to open it up to the audience. If you guys have any questions for any of us or our guest, Mohammed, then, you know, raise your hand. We'll pass it out in the microphone. Now's your chance to be on the podcast. You know, basically. Come on up. Tell us who you are. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for this uh, because it's really helpful. I want to say to Muhammad, uh, me, I'm a journalist and resident of my internship. So, what are the priorities for me? Like, how would I improve my CV? So, does it matter the scores, the program where I'm coming <laughs> from, or the connections, or the research? So, thank you. I mean, I think any all those things are important, and I think that you know, I, I know Dr. Vincent's a program director, so he can probably add to it. I think all those things are are important because you know all those things you know check off the box, and whatever you can do. And I mean, I tell everybody that each application is unique, and all of us have our unique strengths. So someone might have a lot of research, someone might have a really good volunteer experience, someone might have really glowing letters, and we don't. When we're recruiting for fellows, we're we are not trying to find all four or you know them as clones. You know, we're happy if someone's a researcher, someone's like a really good person who works in the community and, you know, has really good social service background. Someone's got leadership skills. So I think all those things are are, uh, are important and having strengths. But I think you're, you're uh, so as long as you're doing all those things, you're already doing the right things, you're showing up, you know, and then taking advantage of all these, all the opportunities they get. I think that's what I would say. I don't know, Matt. What do you I think that's all excellent advice. This is where kind of figuring out who you want to be. You don't have to know everything, right? You don't have to know, like, I want to be 72% research and 28%. Like, you don't have to know that. But you really have to have a sense of where you're going. Because also, we're in an era where we're doing virtual applications, which means everyone is applying everywhere. And while that is amazing in terms of the equity of people that uh, just don't have the money to travel across the country and now able to interview programs that might be perfect fits, it also means that it's a little sometimes harder to break through because there's just a higher volume for a lot of different programs. So being targeted about who you want to be and what programs really support them. So the, so I wanted to be a medical educator. That's what I knew. And I will tell you, when I went on interviews, I went to a program where the opening line was, we build basic scientists, so what are you doing here? And my response was, I don't know. You offered me the interview. But it, it was like it was clearly not a match right off the bat. So I think in hindsight, if I had done a little more research about who they were trying to generate, what their vision was, and who I wanted to be, I would have known ahead of time it wasn't going to be a good fit. So figuring out who you want to be, building up that skill set and realizing what programs really you think you would contribute to, and then really reaching out to them and using something like DDW as a networking device. And there's nothing more exciting as a program director, associate program director, either even as like a colleague in a program. Someone comes to you and says, you know what, I see you're doing this. Like I'm so interested by this. I have this experience in X, Y, and Z. I really just wanted to meet you. And then that's, as kind of Muhammad was going for, that's exactly, those are the people that get really excited for us as program directors because we're like, oh, we kind of see where you want to go. We really feel like we can support you. Um, so I think that's the best thing. So I don't necessarily, you want everything to be good in your application, right? But building towards who you want to be and finding that match is really, I think, the best of us. Did that help at all? All right, we're, get, we're getting a nod. It's, this is an audio medium, so we're getting a nod. Okay. Other questions for Dr. Bilal or... Anyone else? Yeah. I'm Natalie. I'm a second year internal medicine resident. Thank you guys so much for 
talking. This has been so helpful. Uh, my question is, is if you could go back to your first DW or your first conference, what is one thing that you would do differently or some advice you would give yourself? That's a good question. That's a tough question. <laughs> I mean, I think I think all the things that we, you know, we sort of talked about, I think one advice that I would give do differently is that I would set up meetings beforehand. I think that would be probably the the thing that I would have I would have done differently would have been, you know, the people that I really wanted to meet, the GI fellowship programs that I was really interested in. I would have tried to set up meetings beforehand. Um, and I think that's one of the advice I give all the you know residents who are applying for fellowship that year. I'm like, you know, if you're really interested in an area, region, reach out beforehand, try to get on someone's, you know, radar. Maybe they're gonna be showing at DDW or even other national meetings, uh, uh, if you're interested in that in that region. I think that would be probably the only thing that I would do have done differently. But otherwise, you know, showing up to a reception, you know, where I didn't know anyone. I'll still probably do it again. <laughs> I think for me, I would probably take more advantage of the poster presentation session. So if you're presenting great, talk to the people next to you. If you're not also, I think that's a great way. Because like when you're in your first year, first meeting, it's you might not know as many people or you might not know who you want to meet. So that's like my case. I'll be like, I just came here. I have my poster. This is what it's on. And like, I don't know anyone that I want to meet and stuff like that. So Somehow I kind of was like, I can't go. I'm not a fellow. You definitely can go. You're definitely invited. And you should go. And I think getting over that slight hump of intimidation is kind of something I wish I did a little bit differently. I will also, I think as the oldest person on this panel, when we we started going to DW, there were no apps. So you got a 
600 page, like those old course directories. And you'd have to go day by day, poster by poster. Now it's a lot easier, obviously, with everyone's absolute constraint. So I think kind of what you're saying, knowing what track I wanted to go to, paying attention to it, actually helped direct me. And then for you younger people, um, <laughs> I would really suggest going to some of the big sessions too. So the presidential plenary um, last year was wonderful. The, the one that's laid out this year is really going to be interesting. Yeah. It's very different than it normally is. Um, and you just get to hear some really, really cool stuff. And this is a lot of the history of medicine this year, which will be really that's cool. That's going to be cool. And I, think, and I think just to add on what you said earlier is also like, you know, since we asked a question about like knowing what you want to do, but what Matt said is it's okay to totally not know yeah. and just like talk to anyone that you meet. And sometimes, you know, you might not think it's tangible advice. Like you might like, oh, well, that's not really going to help me right now. But the same person you talk to two years down the line, you'll be like, oh, remember we talked and we had this connection, but now that person is able to help you. And it happened to me multiple times where I reached out to someone about something and they never, I couldn't get what I wanted. And I was disappointed, but now that I've been through this for many years, I realized three years later, they'd be like, hey, you know, we have this opportunity and I think you're the right person for it because I met with them. So sometimes it might feel like the person you talk to is futile, but literally no conversation is, is futile. And you might, and there's so many conversations that I might have had before that I still haven't gotten a reward, but I know at some point, <laughs> you know, you might, you, and you're always surprised how they, how they come back. So, and I think... I'll build up one more thing. As all of us, all four of us, have been exactly where all of you guys are, we remember kind of the intimidation factor of of, of looking up at people, right? Like, see Mahan Bilal, he's like, he's got 10,000 followers. Well. So, like, 30, I'm sorry, 13,000 followers. 13,001 now. So, um, and it can be a little bit intimidating. I, I will safely say that, first off, I went to gastroenterology because the people are the nicest and have a different humor because we're in a kind of a field. Um, but also, I think we all understand where you guys are. So everyone wants to help the other person, or 99% of the people want to help. Mohammed, to your point, like sometimes you just can't because you're sprinting somewhere and there's no way for people to know that. But don't be intimidated. It really is just kind of wonderful. And everyone likes reaching back and calling that the next person out. So, yeah. What other questions do we have? If we have any else. Oh, we got another one. Thank you all. Um, my name is Ganey. I'm an interning medicine resident in PGY2 applied for the NCO. Um, so, like all of you rightly noticed, uh, it can be really intimidating. Like Dr. Nandi said, my first DDW last year, I knew nothing. Um, <laughs> I just was taken aback by everything. But today, when I come back in, I know people, I recognize them off Twitter. It can get overwhelming for us. Uh, what's your take on cooling our nerves and, you know, just staying calm? What's the take on cooling nerves and, and staying calm? I, not my area. I will say that everybody <laughs> is actually so helpful and so nice. Do not be intimidated. Just come up to somebody and talk to them. The worst somebody can say is, no, or I'm busy or I'm going somewhere else. And then you just stop them like, well, all guys. And just, <laughs> just walk into the room or stay on the train platform wait for the F train to Yeah, I walk kidding. into your bus. <laughs> no, but, but really, I mean, I'm surprised because there's big names here, right? Like, for example, people who have been on this podcast are huge. And I would be scared to come up to them to a meeting. But when talking to them, She's like, wow, they really want to help you. And they're mentors and they're in education for a reason. And they're interested. They just might be busy, but that's not a no. You know, then find the time and just be like, okay, when can we meet? Or, hey, I'm really, just make it short and sweet, like you said. You know, just tell them I'm interested in this topic. When can we meet? When can we talk? The worst is, is no or later. 
No, I think I think I echo everything that that Nina said. I think everything that um, is is similar. That I and I think the other thing is also like if if someone is not helpful, it's never personal. Like you know, they might not you know they might not have the bandwidth to take on a mentee. That doesn't mean that they're you know you're not good enough. And I just remember what I always tell about the fellowship match application is that it's a match. You know, it's like you only need one place to train at. You know, no matter you get hundred interviews, you get three interviews. So similarly, you know, yes, we have a lot. You know, you don't only have one mentor. But you also don't need a 1,000 mentors. You know, you need to have a few mentors at different areas of expertise. But you're not going to have 15,000 mentors. And you don't need all of them. So uh, so eventually, you you know, you try to cast an ad, try to we talk to multiple people. And there are some that you'll form friendships, some acquaintances, some collaborators. And, you know, and the list goes on. So directly to your question, here's what I would challenge you to do. Every day, take a chance and just introduce yourself to someone you want to meet. Yeah. Right, just once a day. That's all you have to do. All right. After that, you can go get like the free ice cream and like <laughs> get your sunshine sunshine act seventeen dollars. <laughs> but try to do it one time a day. And as you get more and more used to that, it's just going to make it easier and easier and easier. And so start small. Turn to your other co-residents here. Say, hey, how are you? We should we discuss a project together. And then you know, build up to Dr. Belong. You know, the pinnacle of uh, collaboration. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that's good. That and then the other thing is just deep breaths. Deep breaths, less caffeine. Two things I would advise. So, yes, you got anything? Yeah, I think like somebody mentioned earlier your elevator pitch. So that takes oh, kind yeah. of knowing what you want to do and what you want to get out of it. So you'll be like, hi, my name is Vinay. I'm a second year in general medicine. I'm interested in XYZ. Could I? Could you tell me a little bit more about, you know, one, two, three, whatever it is. Like, let's say, I'm Vinay, I'm a second year internal medicine, I'm interested in advanced philosophy. Could you tell me a little bit more about how a career path to get to where you are? You've got 10 seconds, but you know, you, you introduce yourself, and then the other person's like, oh, I know what you want and what you're like. I have a little profile you. You're interested in advanced philosophy for a second year resident. This is what I will tell you. So that 10-second thing's just make sure you have it down. And then I think the other thing we talked about earlier was the follow-up thereafter because you get, you know, this five-minute, ten-minute conversation really helpful. And then you follow up posting W at emails like, hey, Dr. Bilal, I talked to you. Thanks so much for your great advice. Can we also set up another, you know, 15-minute, 30-minute Zoom meeting I want to follow up, you know, a few weeks later? That, I think, is how you want to build those relationships and also not be intimidated. So I think we have time for one more question if someone wants to volunteer. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Gaurav. I'm a third-year internal medicine resident. Um, as someone who's new to the social media realm and like, kind of using Twitter, yeah, um, how do you use this meeting to kind of build that, like, that, that profile? Or like, how do you use Twitter to like, help advance things? I mean, other than asking people if they're on Twitter, which I did yesterday. You, know, <laughs> you, uh, you invite Muhammad Bilal on your podcast, <laughs> and you hope some of his followers are like, oh, I should follow that yeah. person, too. Um, let's, I'm, I'm turning to you here for social media. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that, um, it's just, you know, people are always surprised when I talk about social media. I would say it's a tool, and it's not the only tool. It's one of the tools that we have. It's an adjunct to whatever we're doing. You know, don't just be on Twitter to be on Twitter again, sort of going back to to find your why. And it's OK if you're if your goal is to, you know, use it for social purposes and stay up to date and 
you know, see what people are doing, that's totally fine. But if your goal is, again, it goes back to what your original goal is. Is it like, you know, you're trying to find research collaborators. So if you're, for example, someone's interested in IBD, you know, there's Monday night IBD. You want to see who's engaging in there, engaging in conversations, finding like-minded colleagues, and then trying to figure out collaboration. Sometimes your goal again might be to like, oh, I want to get on a committee. So, okay, like, can I engage with, you know, these four or five people that I see are more active on that. So again, I think it goes back to, again, finding your goal, and then you're able to utilize that tool. But also always remembering that it's not, you know, it's just an adjunct, it's just an additional tool that we have to disseminate our work, to, you know, build our network, to showcase, you know, what we're doing, to connect with peers. But that's not, that's not, that cannot be the only thing. You have to have some sort of content uh, and substance to what you do, and then social media is, is just a way to, to amplify it. If that, if that sort of answers your question. One very practical thing is it depends on what your goal is. If it's like just to have more followers or to know more like-minded people, one thing, if it's more followers or kind of spread what I'm really doing, one thing I find helpful rather than like tweeting about yourself or your work is actually tweet about what other people are doing, other people's work. Like retweet or do those sessions and you're like, you know, people take pictures. Like, this is a great key point. You take a picture and you tag. I, I find that tagging these large societies like the AGA, the CGH, or different ASLD, a lot of times they would retweet your tweet. And that's when, like, oh, like a million people saw it. Whereas it was me tweeting about my stuff. It's like, no, no, two people see it. So <laughs> you can certainly tag the AGA and, and stuff like that. They would check, uh, typically amplify it. And I think hashtag gear Twitter automatically retweets your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I think just remembering that, you know, you only go up in life by taking others up with you. So I think that adds to what Sia is saying. So if you're just tweeting about you and, and you know, what you're doing, you're unlikely to build those connections. But if you're if you're there to, to amplify the community, the causes that are important to people, to you, to your colleagues, to your patients, and then just like, you know, engaging with like-minded people, supporting their work. If someone does research in your area, then eventually people will be like, you know what, I've Seems like you're really interested. I have this opportunity. Do you want to collaborate with you? So I think that's that's how I would think about it. All right. So in conclusion, so as we're kind of winding this down, so we like to ask our guests one final question. So actually, two final questions. Question one: Where can people follow you on Twitter? <laughs> so on well, my Twitter handle, yes, is uh, at Bilal Muhammad MD. So you guys are more than welcome to follow me. You know, again, like I said, for me, that's more just like. All the things that I mentioned is just what I use it for for the sake of time. I'll keep it free. Fair enough. Uh, and then the, the thing that we like to ask every one of our guests is, what is the advice you would pass down? What's the best piece of advice you got or that you think that you should pass down to the next generation of gastroenterologists and hepatologists? I think the the best um, you know piece of advice I, that I, I get, and I'm still trying to learn how to implement it completely, and I continue to try to do that, is that remembering that your career is is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So a lot of times when you come to these meetings, you can be overwhelmed, like someone next to you is doing something, but it's always, and, and you can feel an imposter syndrome, yeah. uh, or you might feel that, so, you know, the person next to it is accomplishing so much when I'm not. So remembering that each of us have our own different journeys and each, each and the person has their own path. So just, you have to trying to find it, identify your path and the joy is in enjoying the journey. So don't be so overwhelmed in this whole process in a meeting, in trying to get in a fellowship or advanced fellowship or jobs or committees or trying to get recognized that you don't take enough time to enjoy enjoy the process. So I think as long as you have that 
that mindset and remember you're not going to achieve all these things overnight and things will come and you keep working. It's not a sprint. So just keep going slow. Then you'll be good. Awesome. So with that, we're going to close out the episode, but can we get a round of applause for Dr. Bilal, please? Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you very much for being here. This was this is awesome. Very small talks, big topics. Yes. <laughs> also on Twitter. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Let's have a look. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the AGA podcast. To reach us, please email us at agapodcast at gastro.org or follow us on Twitter at MJWitsonMD, at NinaNandyMD, and at CSCMD. Podcast production done by Resonant Recordings. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening and have a good one.